This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And I'm joined today, as always, by Maxwell Vogue. Hey, everybody. Hey, Max, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Joris? I'm good, man. I want to hear about your weekend project. What are you doing? Because it's really cool. Because you're doing what? <laughs> I'm making a thermo generator uh, this weekend okay. with my son. So I'm actually printing the parts yeah. right now. And I made them up last night. But essentially, I'm taking Peltier junctions and then yeah. using a lens uh, to use sunlight to heat the surface okay. of the Peltier junctions up to charge a cell phone. Okay. And that's going to like explode or what? Is that, yeah. Do you think it's going to work? Are you, are you reasonably confident that's going to work? I'm reasonably confident it's going to work. I don't know if I'm going to have to increase the number of Peltier junctions. Right now I'm using two, but I may end up having to use like six or something ridiculous like that. But we'll see. Okay. How, old, how old is your kid? Three. Three? Okay, okay. So he's going to put the thermo tape down and he's going to put the yeah. things into the yeah. thing and I'll, I'll, I'll let him solder yeah. with me holding the soldering iron. Yeah. It's also like a beginning of a really cool bomb, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so I thought, anyway, so today uh, on the 3D pod, we're joined uh, by Eric Valaris. Uh, Oh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's the CTO of BCN3D. Uh, so welcome to the show, Eric. Hi, Joris, Max. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Well, thanks for joining uh, us today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Eric. So, so uh, a little bit about, uh, so Eric is the CTO. He's been with uh, BCN3D a long time. BCN3D is actually quite a large, uh, depending on where you are in the world, either relatively unknown or relatively well-known 3D printer uh, uh, manufacturer, uh, focusing on FDM for desktop and larger systems. Um, and they're based in Barcelona and, uh, they make like, uh, yeah, so they used to make entry level systems. Now they're making more like pro and, and, and enterprise type systems. And Eric's been, you know, leading the, 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 the technical side of things for, for, for a while now. So, uh, how are things with BCN 3D, uh, Eric? We are setting, setting down and, and put things working again after the little summer break. So everything yeah, and you guys, uh, you just you just got some extra funding, right? Just recently, uh, got some uh, extra funding. Yes, yeah, last last month, uh, we announced it publicly, and and yeah, that's uh, very good news for for BCN 3D. So it will help us to keep up uh, developing new products and to strengthen our position in the market. You know, to for, to fulfill our mission and and vision and and make things uh, work smoother. Than, than now. You know, you know, startups are always uh, a constant fight, and we are always fighting to to beat all, all the problems around. But that's the the good thing and the funny thing, and and everybody here at BCN3 we, we we love our our job, so it's it's a pleasure to to be here and to see how the the company is maturing together with the uh, market and the technology. And yeah, when we started like seven eight years ago, uh, we were a bunch of uh, students in a garage, more or less, and, and we are pretty proud of uh, what, what, what we have achieved so far. What's your mission? What is your, yeah, well, yeah exactly the same question. What's your mission? <laughs> yeah, um, we see ourselves as facilitators. We want to help our customers, uh, the people who trust us, in, in change the way the things are manufactured. So we consider our, um, you know, our, our 
a role here as providing the best tools uh, for them in order to achieve their goals. So we are facilitators. We want to provide uh, tools and ecosystem and, and work together with them um, to let them fulfill uh, their goals. Maybe at the beginning, we were more focused on the hardware side, probably because of our uh, technical background. But as the time has passed, uh, we see like a more wide picture of the, of the scene and what the customers, what the industry needs. And, and yeah, uh, the point is provide help, provide tools, guidance to our customers. Uh, if you say like ecosystem, what does that mean? Is like, are you working on materials, software, training, everything, or yeah. what does the ecosystem do? The core, the core part in, in all this is the hardware. We started just manufacturing printers or sending kits so the end customer could assemble it by, by themselves. But we realized that was not enough. We need to, to bring something else, some, some extra value on, on top of the hardware. So we put a lot of emphasis on developing all the material side to provide closed configurations, profiles, so the people can print with a, a wide vari variety of, of materials. And we are putting a lot of efforts right now on all the cloud platform we are developing. We see 3D printing as a, as a part of the of a biggest picture, which is Industry 4.0. So, so we want to provide uh, cloud-based tools to our customers and, and of course, all the integration that, that comes together with the, with the software. Uh, I'm thinking also in the, in the you know, rich manufacturing and all, all the potential of 3D printing, not only as a prototyping tool, but also as a way to uh, manufacture end-use parts in, in a small and medium series. And do you think that's, is that, is that something for now? We've been talking about the subject a bunch of times in a different episodes, like what you can manufacture now, to what extent you could manufacture now. If we're looking at like, what are the capabilities of our industry right now? What do you think of when you think of manufacturing, like specifically with FDM, of course, because that's what you guys do. Well, it's, it's true that maybe uh, we are still far from, from the traditional manufacturing technologies for mass manufacturing, but uh, we need to make the road. We, we need to uh, work towards that wall. Uh, to be digital and, and to have the flexibility that AM is providing to the to the industry. Um, from our part, from from BCN 3D, we always try to to bring affordable solutions, and our systems are I think they are a good example of, of um, how an affordable system can be uh, productive. That's why we we uh, introduced back in 2015 the IDEX technology, the independent dual extruder, and Right now, we are pushing quite hard this, this approach. Independent dual extruder means that um, our printers have um, independent carriages, so we can print with uh, both tool heads at the same time. So in other words, it's like having two printers in just one. And this is very convenient. If you want to, to produce uh, a short run of the same part, the same model, uh, in the same time that you can print uh, one part in a single printer, we are printing two units of that model. And a good example of, of that, that uh, technology or this architecture is uh, during the COVID-19 crisis. We've been printing more than 4,000 units of uh, shields and different uh, PPEs for the healthcare workers. And, and we used our printing farm that we have at our facilities. And it was very convenient because, you know, there was a, a huge demand in a very short time so the, the capacity of respond quickly 
to to uh, that need uh, was very very important. So having this this uh, productivity um, advantage is is very convenient. And, and we think we the, the people is is adopting this approach to consider FDM not only as a prototyping tool but also as a way to produce end use parts. Um, for example, we are able to collect data from from our customers what uh, or, I mean how they are using their printers. And we have seen that one out of four print jobs are taking profit of the duplication or mirror modes that are enabled by the uh, IDEX system. So 25% of the print jobs um, that are printing um, the same part, I think it's quite relevant. I think it, it's, it's showing a trend in, in the market or at least of our customers that uh, they have the interest on, on printing a bunch of, of parts, not just a single prototype. Yeah, and, and, and to just explain that a little bit more clearly, I think I think it's different than a two-head printer where you have a support material head that might be on the same uh, motion stage, right? Uh, and it's also different than these heads that can actually duplicate the same thing but then can't move independently, right? Or something like that. There, there are a couple of different printers that kind of have dual-head, different dual-head approaches, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So for, for those printers that have both um, printer heads uh, moving uh, in the same carriage, they just can alternate between materials to print, for example, uh, support materials. Yeah. Uh, in our case, we have um, the same y-axis, but the x-axis is split in two different tool heads. So yeah, we can print first with with uh, the left one, then the support material with the right one, or print simultaneously both, with both tool heads to duplicate the same part. Can you do mixed yeah. materials like? Um... If you wanted to make a living hinge in it, so you wanted to make it out of ABS, but you wanted a section to be TPU, can you use the second tool head to come over and fill in TPU in a section and then keep printing ABS on top of it? Yeah, of course you can do it. Uh, there are some complications. Oh, yeah. Not, not, not <laughs> materials uh, mixed together or stick together as well as uh, we would like. But right. of course, you, you can do it. You can do it. And, and it's, it's important because if you have both tool heads uh, at the same carriage, you know, the the temperature, uh, the the plastic, uh, the molten plastic dripping onto the printed part, it's not very convenient. But if you have uh, the 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 IDEX system, you can combine more easily, more reliably different materials. So, for example, a good combination, as as you said, is uh, let's say a rigid material like like um, PLA and a living hinge uh, made with TPU. And, and PLA and TPU uh, get along quite quite uh, well, so it's a it's a good and feasible combination. What kind of materials are you seeing? Like like you mentioned, like PLA and TPU. Are you seeing like a lot of interest in certain materials? Like, for example, depending on the platform, for a lot of people, like polyamide is really important. For a lot of people, like PET is really important. What's for you guys like the really materials you're very excited about? I would say we are putting our focus in, on on the engineering grade materials. Uh, like polyamide, polypropylene, uh, ABS. I mean, we have seen that uh, most of our customers they always print with PLA. Right. But but the point is they don't want to print with PLA. They want to go beyond PLA. But in their previous experience, they struggled every time they tried to print something different. So they are not really unlocking the the potential of of 3D printing and applying it to to the you know to the maximum level. They just, they don't have the tools. And that's what, what I was saying before, 
with BCN 3 ds mission to, to provide the, the right tools to the customers to, to get uh, the results they need. So that's something we wanted to change with the introduction later last year uh, of the Workbench series of the BCN 3D Epsilon to provide a more controlled environment, a printer capable to print with advanced materials like, as I said, PP, polyamides, different kinds of polyamides, also materials reinforced with glass or carbon fibers that really need a specific environment, a more controlled environment um, that with regular desktop 3D printers, customers may struggle. So we want to provide that solution. Did you find anything particularly challenging of this? Like PP, I always think of it, you know, I've used it for, uh, for molding purposes and stuff like that, but uh, I've never tried printing with PP. So I'm wondering if you guys... It always depends on, on, on the geometry. Um, I think that the main problem with these technical materials is the combination of the, uh, you know, the adhesive solution you use for the, for the printing surface and, and depending on the geometries, maybe they can be a bit tricky. Yeah, in general, we have a, a good combination. We are using, for example, Majiku uh, adhesive solution, albeit the range for, for the different uh, materials like PA or PP, and we are getting very, very good results. You know, it's, it's very important to have a, a closed chamber printer. Otherwise, it's almost impossible to get a, a, a flat part to stick properly right. in, the, in the bed. But as long as you have a closed environment, uh, the right adhesive, and of course, some strategies, you know, raft, rim, whatever, uh, to make sure that there's no warping, then the extrusion system, as long as the material has a good quality, it's quite smooth. Mm. At least I have a printer at home and I'm printing a lot with PP. So yeah. I recommend you, if, if you can grab some, you know, some, some printer with the right environment, uh, give PP a try because it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's totally amazing material, dude. Really, it's it's really mind blowing and and super easy to use in a lot of different things where you where you weren't being able to use, where either something was too rigid or or not soft enough. And uh, yeah, it's just a really great material to print. Oh, I I use PP a lot in manufacturing, but I I've never thought. Yeah, of, of course. So like. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna get me a roll of PP. <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna try this out. I think Clarent or Clarent now DSM have it. I think MCPP have it as well. I think I'm not sure. Uh, um, but a couple of people have it. But um, so what I think is really interesting about this Epsilon printer you mentioned is, so before we had, you know, thousand dollar kind of printers. Now everybody's moving into the pro segment, which is around 5,000. And as you mentioned, Eric, in your interview with uh, 3dprint.com, you guys saw a gap in the market. And it was a huge gap in the market. I mean, there's a gap between the $5,000 printers, like the, the, the bigger ultimakers, let's say. And there's a gap uh, between then the entry-level Stratasys systems, which is either the F123s uh, uh, or like the bigger 270s, depending on what you, what you want. And, and in between that, there's a huge, there's nothing, right? And so I've always traditionally assumed that you'd have like a pro printer, right? And then maybe you'd have a cluster or a print farm of a lot of them, right? Or you would have like for 50,000 or something, you would have like a high temperature system capable of doing peak and, and uh, stuff like that, right? And what you guys have done is for around 7,000, 8,000, depending where you are, I think, uh, you've got this printer that is kind of more of a, yeah, it's like a shared solution. It's a, you know, a little bit higher price than the pro printers, large volume. Uh, it doesn't have a controlled uh, heat bleed kind of thing. It does have, uh, so it's better for nylon and stuff like that, PA12 and stuff. But still, it doesn't have that, that all those hardened parts that you would need and the 350 degrees you would need for peak and stuff. So it's a kind of an in-between kind of printer. So why did you chose specifically for that as a, as a, as a gap to fill? 
as you mentioned, there's a lot of, of uh, competitors in, in the entry-level uh, segment and also in the, the professional desktop. So, so it's, it's difficult to, to innovate and to keep the, the price very low to, to be competitive. And, and, and precisely what, what I was saying before, our customers print PLA but because it seems like they cannot print something else. But in order to unlock applications and, and, and provide the right tools, they don't need that. 50,000 euros printer. They need something um, in between. So, so I think that there, there's a, a, a slow adoption of the technology. It could be faster, the, the, the adoption, if they had the tools before. So we are trying to, to speed up the, the adoption of 3D printing by providing the right tools at the right moment. Um, if we present, let's say, uh, 20,000, 50,000 printers, we can only target super high added value segments like, I don't know, um, automotive, maybe uh, aerospace, but they already know they want to 3D print things. But we are trying to, to let the people that maybe are not still very familiar with 3D printing that they can use effectively and they can succeed, get a successful 3D print if they have the right tool. So that's why we, we try to, to go in between. Not a very big printer, super expensive that almost nobody can afford, unless they really know they want to make that investment. But to put something in between, so the people that has printed with PLA and that have realized that PLA is not enough for some applications, they can go uh, to the next uh, step, the confidence that they are not waste, wasting money. So that was like of the, I mean, the, the, the reasoning behind of that decision of, of bringing the option into the market. And do you see this as being like a shared printer? This is like, like this, do you see this like four architects or engineers in office and this is like they're kind of like now we have the Xerox machine? Is it similar to that? Or is it one printer for one person? Or how do you see this being used? The printer can be shared within a, within a team. So different team members can, can uh, send print jobs to, to a printer. So we are, we are um, considering the, this system as a shared system within an office, not a single printer for each engineer uh, to use. Maybe that's more the, the purpose of a desktop, professional desktop 3D printers, but when we are focusing more on, on workbench, we understand at the moment the, the, the market maybe is not that major that every engineer needs a 7,000 uh, euros printer at their desk. Maybe in the, in the near future it can, it can be, but for us the, the Epsilon is more like a shared printer uh, in a team. And when this workbench, what does that mean to you? Because you were the first people that were kind of like, or some of the first people that were actually using that as a term and these kind of like, and produce a kind of workbench type printer. But what does that mean for you? Uh, yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Because we had the, the discussion and for us it's like, we, all, we already have it very uh, inside ourselves, but desktop for us, everybody understands desktop. I mean, I'm working on a laptop, I have my printer uh, on my side. That's desktop, professional desktop. Uh, industrial is, I'm in a, in a workshop, industrial floor, 20,000 euros printer, but something in between, something I can, I can put on my warehouse or I can put, sorry, on my, on my workshop or I can put it uh, on the office, something in between is the, the workbench, a concept for us. So we try not to use industrial because some people, when, when we say industrial, they think in peak or that kind of right. materials. Real factory um, kind of, yeah. But of course, it's, it's quite big, so maybe 
on a desktop, it's not the most uh, the best option. So something in between was the concept of Workbench. I was just going to say, I'm curious as to how many, since the conception of BCN 3D, how many printers have you guys shipped? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I don't know exactly the, the, the figures, uh, mm-hmm. but I would say it's something between uh, 8,000, uh, 15,000. I know it's a quite wide it's range. <laughs> no, no, no. Between that range, yeah. No, it's fine. You can be vague. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 if if you if you're going forward, are you seeing that? Uh, okay, so so now you've got a kind of desktop printer still, the Sigmax and the other the other yes. one, the R19 or whatever. And this one, do you see yourself having these two models going forward, or are you going to get like a complete lineup of like ten different models? What's your? Because I see companies doing this very differently. I mean, like. Like for example, Stratus is doing a very pick and choose around certain segments, like a 10, 20, and then the MakerBot segment, and then uh, you know, then the go go for broke with the 450 MC. You know, um, you know, they they pick and choose to see like really price points that make sense for their existing installed base. Other people seem to enter the market based on what everyone else is doing, right? Um, so everybody's like, okay, I guess it's two and a half thousand. Let's do that. You know, do you guys, and, and other people are trying to like really plug in the model, like range, like trying to get everything for every budget. Like, what do you guys think? What are you thinking? Is it two models or 10 or? Um, well, I think it makes sense to have a, a series of printers depending on the, on the segment. Uh, so we have the, the Epsilon series for, for the workbench. Uh, but of course the, the desktop. For us, it's, it's very important. That's where we come from. And and if you consider, of course, in the, in the US, or in, in, in Europe, uh, some parts of APAC, it's, it's important to have uh, the possibility to choose between desktop and workbench. But for many other countries that are emerging economies, they maybe have not the ability to access to, to a workbench more pricey uh, solution. That, so for them, it's important to have a, a low cost or lower cost alternative. So we want to to keep pushing the, the desktop series. For us, it's, it's very important. And and also, it's we consider it, we have a, a good a good opportunity here because we are collecting feedback. Uh, we are in the, uh, understanding what the people require with uh, workbench printers. So we can bring that knowledge down to the desktop series in, in order to make them more competitive. Uh, so we will keep we will keep pushing the the sigma and the sigmax line. And that's interesting. The emerging markets. It's really interesting you mentioned that. Is that like some cuddly thing or something, or is that something that you focus on, like emerging markets? Or well, I think it's important to to have uh, everybody um, in mind. Um, we have detected, for example, some some increasing interest in in South America, uh, some countries like like uh, Brazil, uh, Argentina, Peru. They are uh, starting to to traction our products, of course, maybe the the language. You know, we are based in Spain. Maybe that is is helping us uh, to have a, a deeper penetration on that market. But also in Eastern Europe, uh, we've been opening some distributors uh, recently. So they they appreciate to have the the ability to to have a a sigma rather than a, an epsilon. So it's important for for us to open the door. And of course, if a customer in, in Eastern Europe is, is happy with a desktop printer, maybe they can consider to, to acquire a more expensive one. Uh, and why not? They can, they can buy the, the Epsilon if, if they have the, the budget. I'm curious, you mentioned Brazil. I'm wondering if they're 
are they purchasing the Epsilons more because they're trying to actually make stuff to get around the high tariff imports that Brazil has? Yeah, well, that's that's something that maybe the, my, my colleagues from, from sales and logistics... Uh, uh, fair enough. <laughs> You're CTO, no worries. <laughs> you work with resellers at the moment. Does that also mean that resellers will do your support or first-line support? I mean, I've noticed in the market that a lot of companies differentiate themselves through support, and a lot of people also lose a lot of client love, if you will, when they switch to reseller support. How are you guys dealing with that worldwide? It really depends on, on the on the distribution partner. We have some some partners that they are providing the front line and actually almost all the support activities, while others maybe because of their size, they are not able to provide that support. So we provide uh, basic training. Uh, we send uh, guides and, and everything uh, our distribution partners they need in order to, to uh, provide the basic support to their customers. And in case uh, some activities they cannot they, they cannot solve some some issues or whatever we can we can handle it uh, without problem. And and yeah, are you are going to expand your training offering as well? Or are you going to do more in training your customers and, and 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 education? Is that also part of your ecosystem approach? It's not one of the the most important uh, approaches right now. Uh, of course, we we want to provide uh, training support to our customers. So we have uh, the customer support team. That are providing guidance to the to the uh, end customer, but at this moment is not the the, the most important um, way for us to you know, to, to reach the, the end customer. We are we are building a, a, a wide knowledge base, creating more and more content in order to provide uh, basic help. And when it's not enough with that basic content and with the knowledge base, we have the the uh, customer support team that can provide the specific guidance. And about the education that you said, yeah, for, for us, it's, it's one of the, of the verticals, the most important verticals, because it, it's the future. I mean, if, if the, the students learn to 3D print and they are familiar with uh, PC and 3D equipment, for us, it's, it's, it's very important. So we always want to provide solutions for this vertical. Yeah, I like the idea of being able to grow up with VCN or something like, you know, right. school, you use this printer, then you get a, a bigger one, and then you get the one at the office, kind of like a SolidWorks did with the student licenses, yeah. right? Kind of that kind of thing. I mean, it's a well-proven model. They even do it, you know, with lawyers. They give away uh, free access to law students for LexisNexis or the other ah, service. Yeah. And by the time you get to a law firm, you get, you have, both law firms tend to have both because students have been yeah. trained in one or the other. So money uh, yeah brilliant dude and, and and what do you see as the eric as the, as the future of the industry where, where are we going in my opinion uh we are going um specifically in the in the fdm or fff um technology we are going towards manufacturing and use parts with technical materials are i would say that in general pretty the same with other technologies we are going to digital manufacturing yeah, and to change the, the, the physical inventory by digital inventory uh, and to the integration into the industry 4.0 ecosystem. So, so I think it's, it's, a, it's a matter of integration to integrate the, the process with the, you know, with the, all the ERP system, whatever, to integrate the production um, and to have everything under the same, the same control. What would you find to be the most exciting thing to become fully like printed to be a 3d printed object in the 4.0 kind of world um where you could go to a store and pick it up and be like cool printer made this what's the most exciting object like what would you 
be excited about um, going into a store and realizing that the, that thing uh, had been printed or parts of it had been printed in order to bring it yeah, to you yeah. in a store. I would say may maybe no going to a store, but go to a mass, uh, a, a product that is uh, mass manufactured, mm -hmm. uh, but with a high level of engineering inside. I would say like something like a car. We always see uh, every now and then company that it, it's using 3D printing for their car. This is not the new, but it's the, the, the norm. What it, it's, right. it's common to see that you know, automakers are using 3D printing every day, uh, different technologies of 3D printing for their end use cars, not the concept cars or the prototypes. For that kind of an application, I mean, I totally see FDM winning out over larger parts, like let's say bread box sized, right? To me, if you need like a golf ball size, 10,000 golf ball size parts and sintering is, is or powder bed fusion is a logical technology. But if we're talking like bumper or half bumper size parts or bread box size parts, clearly there's a lot of cost advantages for FDM and speed as well, right? Mm. Uh, with those type of parts. Yeah, I think in terms of, of uh, limitations for, for FDM, everybody thinks about speed probably, despite it's compared to other technologies, it, can be still can can outstand and, and be better in terms of speed compared to other technologies. But I think one, one of the major limitations for, for the complete industry is, is to, to be able to print faster. Not a, there's not an easy solution for, for to overcome this limitation. Uh, and that's something that all manufacturers, I'm pretty sure that we are doing our efforts and we have our research lines in order to how to print faster without giving away quality. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty curious to see how in this, in this regard, the industry advances in the next five years. And also another FDM problem is the surface texture, surface quality. I mean, are you doing something to improve that? Well, for example, one of the things um, our customers can already uh, do is, is to combine different nozzle sizes in a larger nozzle, let's say 1.8 and then the outer walls uh, with a smaller nozzle size, and and you can you can uh, cut down printing times without reducing uh, the the outer quality of the of the part. The, that kind of strategies, I think, that really makes sense because it's not something that requires a super expensive equipment. Uh, we are not changing the the rules of the game. Uh, we are just applying some smart strategies, printing strategies to the uh, to the print job. Uh, do you see improvements in printers being just incremental changes or do you think there's some super big change on the horizon to kind of shift this technology even further? Well, I would say if, if it was obvious to have a super big change in the coming future, um, maybe somebody had already did it or at least Fair. Uh, FDM um, would have changed over the past 30 years. So I, I think it's, it's not uh, very simple to, to make a major disruption with FDM-based technologies. The, the point here is, is to make FDM uh, reliable, repeatable, so it can be applied massively on the, on the industry. Maybe it's not the, the fastest technology at this moment. Maybe it has not the perfect surface. So maybe in that regard, yes, we need to go uh, step by step incremental uh, improvements. I think that, yeah, besides the, the printing speed and the surface, the major limitation right now for, for this, in general, for, for 3D printing, I think it's reliability. We need to make reliable and repeatable uh, systems. And, and we need to put a lot of control 
and, and sensors on the printing process to understand what is affecting and how is it affecting in order to prevent it in real time. So, you know, uh, FDM specifically comes from the RepRap project uh, where everybody uh, can build a printer and have it completely in open loop. And But if you go from one room to another, maybe with a slight change on the temperature and the humidity, uh, maybe you're not noticing that the process is heavily affected. So we need first to understand how, how the environment, how the conditions, how the material um, uptakes moisture. There's a lot of, of factors that are very important um, in, the, in the reliability and the performance of the end use part. So that, in my opinion, requires incremental steps, a lot of physics and fundamental science there to, to establish the relationships between um, variables and, and then once we have the, the, the complete picture, maybe we can think in, in a disruption or something very, very different. But at this moment, I would bet that most of the, the uh, manufacturers, maybe we still don't understand what's going on inside the hot end. Yeah, I think, I think it's really, it's insane to me that so many people outsource hot ends and how little understanding there is about like wall slip and the pressure in hot ends and then that kind of thing. And I think it's, it's actually quite crazy that kind of stuff that we're such in a basic level with those kind of things, considering how important they are. There hasn't been enough manufacturing of hot ends. I mean, to date, that's well, like different I, people. You mean? Well, I just mean that uh, no one's doing large quantities um, outside of you know outside of my company. We've made over two million hot ends, but mm -hmm. like nobody else is doing that level of quantity of hot ends. Uh, that's interesting, actually. They made more hot ends than anyone else in the yeah, world. <laughs> made more hot ends than anybody else on the planet. <laughs> that's insane. Dude. <laughs> yeah. But um, and 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 how do you think that the, the so okay? You told us like a little bit about what you think is like lacking. Let's say and. and what are you going to do? What's the unique BCN 3D thing that you're going to do to to, yeah, to solve uh, that equation or to bring the market forward? What do you think is because what is what is going to be uniquely yours? BCN 3D can can provide to the to the industry is is an ecosystem. You know, we are collecting data, we are monitoring um, with different sensors what's going on inside the printer, uh, what's the rating uh, that the user. Uh, is is giving to the to the print uh, job once it's finished. We, we are trying to, to cross link all that information in order to continuously improve um, our systems, um, the solutions we are providing, and and also to to reinforce the the understanding uh, that we have on the printing process. I think that uh, the company that masters the the understanding of the process can really change uh, the applications and unlock new new applications and, and, and go deeper into the market. So we are putting a lot of efforts on, on, on that, on, on data, uh, on, on controlling the, the printing process. And that, of course, will, will uh, in, in the near future, it will become new products, new software, new strategies. So everyone, uh, yeah, so Eric, thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for being on the show today, Eric. Thank you, Joris, and Max, for your time. It's been a real pleasure to, to share my, my insights and, and have this nice chat with you guys. No, likewise. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Max, thanks for being there again uh, today. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Oh, yeah. Always, Joris. 
Oh, awesome, man. All right, great, great. <laughs> and I hope uh, your, your viewers also uh, enjoyed it as well. Uh, my name is Joris Peels, and uh, this is another episode of the 3D Pod. Tell us again if you have some uh, guests in mind for us or you have some ideas on what we could be, be talking about. And uh, thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.